as we've been going through a study in 1 Peter over the last several weeks, we've been seeing what God calls us to do in living as exiles. We've acknowledged that if you're a follower of Jesus, in other words, you've transferred your trust from yourself and what you can do to trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, um, then as you've done that, you've been drawn into his kingdom. And that means you're drawn into his service as well. That means you're not an American, especially you are a Christian first and then an American second. Your primary citizenship, your primary allegiance is in the kingdom of heaven. So all throughout the book, we've been seeing what that means for us living as exiles and strangers and sojourners as we're going around on earth. That means that we're living life from the outside. Our priorities are going to be different. The way we treat people is going to be different. The way we look at what God says and respond to it is going to be different. We've been seeing from the middle of chapter 2 on that there's an overarching principle where we're trying to see then, knowing that we're going to be living differently, how do we live honorably among those who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord? How do we represent him well to those who don't follow him, to those who, who don't obey him, who don't like what we have to say? How do we represent him honorably? So last week, we started looking at how that related to our relationship to the authorities that God's placed over us. We saw that that we are called to submit to the governing authorities unless they call us to violate God's law and God's word. Then uh, beyond that, even if we don't like it or we don't like the people in leadership, we are called to submit and to honor their authority. Beyond that, we also saw that we, even if we were to be enslaved peoples who were subject to wicked masters, we still have a call to honor those that God's placed in authority over us, just like Jesus did, to submit ourselves to being mistreated for the cause of Christ, to honor him because that's what he did for us. By taking my sin on the cross and dying in my place, he took everything that I had done wrong and took it and died on the cross under the hand of unjust people. And if Jesus was willing to submit himself to that, then I need to be willing to deal with some unjust treatment on his behalf as well, okay? Now, we're shifting a little bit this week. Our focus last week was on the external, on the government authorities, on masters and and enslaved people. We're moving in what would be called a household code in those days. We're moving now to looking at what does God require of us in the home. Now, as we go through this passage, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, again, this is a contentious passage. Maybe that's why everybody stayed home today. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Husbands are usually trying to get their wives here for this one. Uh, You know, that's the one you want your wife to be here for, right? But um, no, it's not just for her, okay? We're going to get there. But as we look at this, some of you, uh, one of the things that we're going to try to do today is untangle this passage from some of the ways it's been misapplied in the past. So as we're talking about this issue of submission in the home, if, if you immediately, as soon as you heard that, you just disconnected and you're done for the day, I want you to give it a chance. Because I want you to take a look at what God says in his word about the responsibilities that wives have to their husbands and husbands to their wives, okay? So we're going to dive in. There's a lot more in here for wives than there is for husbands. Um, I could make jokes about attention span or something like that or one thing at a time, you know, whatever. Do with that what you will. It's actually more likely because in the household codes of those days, you would never have addressed any kind of corrective thing to the husband. In those days, a husband had the absolute right over his household. He had, he, a wife could not own any property. A wife made no decisions in the home. The husband had absolute right, even to the point where when a baby was born, it was laid at the feet of the father. And if the father, for some reason, didn't like that child, he wouldn't pick it up. 
If he didn't pick it up, they would set it outside with the garbage. That was the power the father had in the home. So you would never write anything bad about the husband. So the fact that Peter and and the fact that Paul and other household codes back in Ephesians and in Colossians, the fact that they address masters, the fact that they address fathers and husbands, that goes completely against the culture. So we're going to see that, guys, we've got responsibility too. But dive in with me. Let's go ahead and read the passage, and then we're going to go through and try to break it out a little bit and see if we can make some sense with it, okay? So, uh, so it's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God, also adorning themselves in this way, submitted to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You've become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, again, this is a difficult passage. Um, One thing, husband, do not expect that your wife's going to call you Lord from this point forward. All right, I don't encourage you to try to make that the application of this passage. It's probably not going to go well. However, unequivocally, we do notice God's design for the home is that, number one, honoring Christ at home means wives are going to submit to their husbands, okay? So diving in, let's try to make an explanation, all right? Um, Let's see. I realized that my sermon notes did not update right here. Give me just a second to get that pulled up in a different place. Ha ha. This is why uh, you guys familiar with the old statement that one or two is one and one is none, okay? Uh, you guys familiar with that statement? Um, it's a good one for lots of different things about being prepared in lots of different stuff. But as we're, uh, yep, there we go, Jamie. That'll be great. Perfect. Um, don't know why my, my notes did not update as they should have, but we have a paper copy, and I also have it backed up in a different place on my iPad if we didn't get there. So, ha, redundancy. There's a reason for it. All right? As we're diving in, first we're seeing wives submit to your own husband's leadership, okay? Submit to your husband's leadership. Now, with that said, let's be real clear. God is instructing wives to submit to their husband's leadership in the home. Now, we're going to get to the husband's responsibility in a moment, but I hope you notice that, that this isn't just a thing that he tells the wives, right? As we mentioned earlier, this passage and other similar passages have been used to teach that women are inferior to men in different ways. That is not in any way, shape, or form the point of this passage, okay? Some have used this passage to say that uh, a woman should never work outside the home, or at the very least, that she shouldn't be any leadership role over men in the workplace or government. Now, let's be very clear that that is not what Peter is teaching here. In fact, if you look there back at verse, chapter, or verse 1 here, he said, submit yourselves to your own husbands, to your own husbands, Okay? So this passage is specifically addressing the relationship between one man and one woman in the bond of marriage. It's not making a statement about working outside the home or anything. There's other principles we can draw in for that, but that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about wives to your own husband. Now, as I look across the room, I know that there are some folks here who are unmarried. 
Some of you, uh, you may get married in the future, so this is a good reminder of how God has set up the home for you. Some of you may never get married uh, in the future or may have been married previously and aren't now. As you're thinking through this, this does not mean that that singles don't have a place in the kingdom of God. Uh, This is just an instruction for those of us who find ourselves in this situation. What you can do, by the way, if you're a single, is to make sure that you're praying for the marriages around you, uh, that you are praying for God to work in them. And if you hope to be married one day, preparing your heart for what God's going to call you to do as a wife or a husband, okay? So... As we get back to this, that doesn't mean that women are called to submit to men in general. Again, God calls wives to honor God and their husbands by deferring the primary leadership of their home to their husbands. That does not make the wife inferior in any way, just like submission doesn't make an enslaved person inferior to their master, and it didn't make Jesus inferior to the Father's will or to those who put him to death. In fact, verse 7 makes it clear that both men and women are co-heirs of the grace of life meaning that both genders enjoy equal standing with God, okay? So are we clear that this is not teaching that women are inferior than men? Rather, it's teaching that men and women both have unique roles that are God-given within the home, okay? Now, moving on, this passage has also been used to encourage women to stay in abusive and damaging relationships, asserting that the wife does not have any choice but to stay. We mentioned last week very clearly that as we were talking about submitting to authority, that our ultimate call is to submit to Christ. That means that we do not have to submit to someone who calls us to violate God's law. I believe that applies in situations where a wife remaining in a marriage enables her husband to sin against her through abuse. So if you find yourself in an abusive situation, submission within marriage does not mean that you are called to stay in an abusive marriage, okay? Uh, Here's how my friend Jesse Fury, who's one of the pastors over at Valley Bible Church, put it. Submission within God's marriage order simply means a disposition to honor your husband and his callings of responsibility and care. By the way, this means that if you have an abusive husband, someone who physically, sexually, or emotionally harms and terrifies you, you honor his call of responsible care under God's rule by leaving. That may be for a time or for good, and that may also involve reporting him to authorities, both to the state and to the church, depending on the context. In other words, if your husband is abusive, He is not obeying God in caring for you. So in fact, he's disobeying God by treating you the way that he is. By leaving, whether that's for a season or in a permanent situation, you are no longer enabling him to continue to be disobedient in this area. If the abuse has risen to the point of breaking the law, you have the right to and can even honor Christ by reporting him to the authorities. And God has put the government in place to protect you in situations like these. If you find yourself in that kind of situation today, if you find yourself in an abusive relationship and you need help, please reach out to us as a church. We will do everything we can to be able to help you to find a way out. Okay? You understand that? We're clear on that. All right? If you don't want to talk to me, we've got uh, several of our deacons are here. Ricky's here. Tim, you heard from earlier. Randy's sitting right there. Uh, All of these men will be happy to help to be able to try to find a way to get you to a safe place where you can find the freedom and the hope that you need, okay? We clear. So this passage is not saying that women are inferior to men. This passage is not saying that a woman has to stay in an abusive relationship. However, for the overwhelming majority of marriages, that's not what's saying here. If your husband's not abusive, even if he's not a Christian, you're called to submit. The clear thing from from this passage here in Scripture 
is that if you are in a situation where he's not abusive, God's call to a wife is to honor the responsibilities that the husband has given or that God's given to the husband by submitting to his leadership and care, okay? That doesn't mean that a wife's not entitled to express her opinions or have input into family decisions. Ultimately, though, God's call to her is to support her husband as he fulfills his role of leading in the home. Now, that's especially difficult in situations where the wife is saved and the husband is not. In Peter's day, that's what he's really addressing, is these situations where maybe the gospel has come to an area and the wife got saved, but the husband didn't. Now the wife has this new standing in Christ, this new freedom, this new joy, and the husband still doesn't. He still has that Roman legal right of patria potestas, and so he's still got this right over her. So as Peter's writing to these women, he's saying, as you honor and submit to even your godless husbands, you have an opportunity to see God potentially draw him to faith through the way that you live, okay? Those husbands aren't going to be won by bickering or by arguing, but instead, a wife's example of godliness and submission may soften his heart to be one of the main tools that God uses to draw him to Christ. Uh, That doesn't mean, again, that a wife should never talk to an unsaved husband about Jesus, rather that those conversations should come as an extension of the life that she's already living. Um, Keep going with me here, okay? You guys still with me? Didn't lose anybody yet? Okay, good. Doors are back there if you need them. Uh, In the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way the wives live when observing your pure, reverent lives. Now, it's interesting. Um, Other translations, I I wish that the CSB had done it a little bit differently. Um, More literally, this line reads, as they observe your pure conduct in fear. Now, husbands just sat there and said, that's right. My wife should fear me. <laughs> no, no, no. Any time that fear is used in, the, in Peter, it's always referring to a fear of God. So what Peter is saying here is even if your husband is lost, as a wife, when you submit yourself and honor him the way that God has called you to do so, in, a, in a, the best way you can, you're doing this out of a pure heart for God and out of a reverent fear for the Lord, not for your husband. This isn't about him. It's about your king. It's about your master. It's about your savior, your Lord. So it's not that your wife should fear you, husband. It's that your wife should have a fear of the Lord that then leads her to obey. Wives, in the same way, I don't want you to ever be afraid of your husband. But at the same time, as you honor him by submitting to his leadership and care over the home, you're doing this as an extension of your love for Christ. Let me give you an example. Uh, Charles Spurgeon gave this example you know, 100 years ago plus. He, he was one of the greatest preachers in the English language in the late 1800s. Um, absolutely fascinating guy to read. So I'm going to try to update the language a little bit from what he said uh, because it's a little hard to, to work your way through. But basically, he told of a woman that he knew of where this was exactly what had happened. They had both been unsaved, but she had gotten saved and the husband was still lost. For years, she had prayed for the husband to come to Christ, but had seen no movement, no change in him. He didn't seem to get any closer to Jesus. So she had been developing this pure, quiet, gentle spirit, was living in reverence towards him, was trying to honor him as she could. Well, one night, he was out drinking with his friends, and the subject came up of his wife, and he was talking about how she'd do anything that that he asked her to do. And he actually said, hey, guys, you know, it's the middle of the night. 
But I can promise you, if we went home right now without complaining, she would get up. She's been in bed for hours. But she would get up, she would fix us a meal, and she'd serve us. Now all the guys were like, yeah, right. There's no way she's going to do that. He said, all right, let's bet on it. So they made a bet. Middle of the night, early hours of the morning, they come to this lady's house. He goes in a few minutes ahead of him, wakes her up. And they said within a few moments, she gets up. She was thankful that she already had a couple of chickens ready. And she says, if you give me just a few minutes, I'll have full supper for you. And playing all of the cheerfulness of a hostess, she lays out the table, sits down, and serves them this meal in the middle of the night to her drunk husband and all his drunk friends. One of the drunk friends start feeling bad about it. And he said, ma'am, we really ought to apologize to you for, for barging in like this in the middle of the night. And, and I know you're a religious woman, and you, you can't like what we're doing here. So how is it that you can serve with such cheerfulness? Here was her response. I and my husband were both formerly unconverted, but by the grace of God, I'm now a believer in the Lord Jesus. I have daily prayed for my husband, and I have done all I can to bring him to a better mind, but as I see no change in him, I fear he will be lost forever, and I've made up my mind to make him as happy as I can while he's here. His friends left, and the husband asked her if she thought he really would be lost forever. She told him that she was afraid that he would, and that she wished he would repent. And that night, that man repented of his sins and trusted in Jesus as a Savior. Why? Because the pure, God-fearing life that his wife had led. You see, now, if I were in her shoes, that'd be really hard. I like a good night's sleep. I like to have things ready in advance. You tell me you show up at 3 in the morning with your drunk friends and you expect me to put supper on the table for you? Not a chance. But this woman, because of her fear of the Lord, was submissive to her husband enough to see him come to Christ. See, that's what all of this has been about. All that we've been seeing through 1 Peter is about us living as exiles. And as we're living as exiles, we're representing Christ to those who don't know him. For some folks, that's going to even be their own spouse. And so as they live in this incredibly difficult situation where everything about them is now rooted around Christ, but they've got a husband who doesn't love him and doesn't care about Jesus, and yet somehow through their fear of Christ, they submit to his leadership. And God can use that as a powerful tool to draw that man to Christ. Unfortunately, it's not a guarantee. I wish that it was. But at the same time, it says that they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. He says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what's inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. It's interesting here. Um, This is one of those passages that, again, has been misapplied, I believe, in in church history. Um, I won't call out anybody this morning who has earrings in or has braided their hair, but that's not what it's saying here. Literally, if you, want to, if you want to push this to its literal extent, he literally, the word he uses there that's translated fancy clothing or fine clothes is actually the word for clothes in general. So if you want to push this verse to literality, that means that women should not wear clothes, okay? I don't think that's the point that Peter's trying to make here, do you? I think that's actually the opposite of what Peter's trying to say. What Peter's saying here is 
Don't let your focus be on the outward appearance. It's so easy for us to get caught up in how we look, both genders. But it, it does seem that, that consumerism has directed itself towards, uh, towards women with the changing fashions and things more so than it has for men. I don't know why. I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist. But the reality is we are tempted to let our beauty consist of outward things. Again, uh, this is the prohibitions in verse 3 are coupled with the positive statements in verse 4. A wife who's honoring her Savior and King by submitting to the role that God's given her husband to fulfill, that means that your focus needs to be more on who you're becoming than what you're wearing. Does that make sense? It's not wrong to, to necessarily wear nice clothes or, or to buy a nice outfit, wear some jewelry. Those things in and of themselves aren't bad. The problem is when your outward appearance becomes more important than your inward character. That's what he's commanding us to do here. Not letting it be merely external, but rather the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. There may have been other issues at play in the culture that day regarding the specific prohibitions he gives, but we can't be totally sure about those. You read different commentators, and they'll say different things about what this means and what that means. We can't be totally sure about whether, you know, whether gold jewelry was a significant, you know, like a religious thing or if it showed a free woman or whatever. But regardless, the, the key principle for us out of this is not to let our focus be on the outside, but on the inside, the inward character. What we can be sure of is that he gives us some clear things about what that looks like. He said, this character that you're to be developing is an imperishable quality. That means it's not going to go out of fashion next season, right? You're not going to have to buy a new one next year. Rather, the imperishable qualities that he's calling us to focus on are things that are never going to go away. Remember that word imperishable, the first time we saw it in this letter was when he was talking about the inheritance that God has laid up in heaven for us, that it's imperishable and undefiled and never fading away. So this, this character that God's calling you to live as a wife, whether your husband is saved, whether he's lost, whether he ever will be saved, whatever it is, you're to develop a character that's imperishable. It's never going to fade away. Well, what's it look like? He says, of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, the first quality that he lists is gentleness. That's something that God requires actually of all believers. We saw that actually this morning in our uh, young adult Sunday school class as we were reading through Colossians 3. But it's the idea of, of gentleness. Um, it is something that God requires of all believers, but it's especially difficult when a wife is called to submit to her husband and especially in a situation where he's not saved and she is. Gentleness is the idea of meekness. It's the idea of power under control. It's the idea of restraint and of strength. But some people would say that, well, to say that a wife is to be gentle, that's demeaning. You know, you're saying that she's supposed to be some dainty little flower, right? You know, that these kind of pejorative ideas that you see with this. Well, if it's demeaning for you, then check out how else it was used. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word gentle is the word that's there translated lowly. So, ladies, if, if a gentle spirit sounds like it's beneath you, well, it's one of the words that Jesus used to describe himself. It's not weakness. 
It's not this delicate flower kind of idea. Rather, it's taking all that strength that God's given you and using it to build up your home and your husband as he leads, to honor your Savior, even if he's not a good guy, even when your husband is disobeying the Lord, to be able to submit to him in a position of strength, gently coming alongside, gently supporting him, not nagging, not, but gently supporting. And then it goes on to say that second idea is of quiet. It's the idea of handling disturbances and disruptions with grace and calm. One dictionary described it as tranquil, undisturbed from without. So a gentle and quiet spirit then is a woman who keeps things under control, not stuffing, that's unhealthy, but rather recognizing the sovereignty of Jesus, his ultimate authority, his leadership, and his rule to be able to say, I'm taking all of this that God's given me and I'm keeping it under control and I'm not going to let the external circumstances of life throw me off. In Colossians, we actually were reading this morning about letting the, the peace of Christ dwell in you, right? It's the same kind of idea that this, this unshakable attitude that says, whatever comes, I know that Jesus is in charge. I can honor him as hard as it is because he's called me to be gentle, to be quiet, to be tranquil, to be a peacemaking force. That's an incredible call that God's given to wives. By the way, in case you say, well, this must just be, is he talking just about like a mixed marriage where a husband's lost and the wife's not? No, because look at the example he gives us. Verse 5, for in the past, the holy women of God who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. So, Abraham was a follower of God, so was Sarah. So this wasn't a mixed marriage situation. This is God's design for the home. This is how God's ordained it. That wives out of a position of of strength, of gentility, of quiet, tranquil heart, to be able to honor their husband's role that God's given him to lead. It's hard, isn't it? Did you see again, though, that this attitude isn't because you're inferior to your husband? This is about putting your hope in God, verse 5. This this kind of gentle and quiet spirit that God calls you to cultivate, verse 4 says, is of great worth in God's sight. A lot more than fashion stuff that's going to go out of date in a week. Peter makes it clear that living as exiles includes wives submitting their husbands. That's true whether they're believers like Abraham or unbelievers. Now, we're going to get to the husband's responsibilities in a minute, but Wives, let me ask, how are you doing with this? Would your husband say, yeah, my wife honors my role to lead? Are you cultivating that gentle and quiet spirit? Again, that doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you stay in an abusive relationship. It doesn't mean that you can't have an opinion. But are you submitting to Christ in the role he's called you to fill in your home? Wives, submit to your husband's leadership. Now, as we get into verse 7, we see what the husbands can do to make that a lot easier. Husbands, number two, honor your wives. Read verse 7 again with me. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Yes, husband, God has called you to lead your home. 
but you are not an autocratic dictator in your house, okay? You don't get to just do whatever you want and completely disregard your wife. Leading your home means you're going to honor your wife well, right? That's what it says. In the same way with your wives, or excuse me, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as the co-heirs of the grace of life. Now, as this verse shows, in Peter's day, again, this was incredibly radical. The husband had absolute authority. So for God to call the husband to respond to their wives in an understanding way and to honor them as co-heirs is unheard of outside of the New Testament. This is not something that people did. But husbands, your responsibility is to treasure your wife. Okay? Biblical commentator Warren Wearsby highlights four different aspects of a husband's responsibility. These won't be on the screen, but we're going to go through them. First, he says you're called to live with your wife. Now, that sort of seems like it goes without saying, but in the busyness of life, my question for us as husbands are, are you making time to actually spend time with your wife? How much of a priority is it for you to actually live with your wife? Or are you letting everything else get so busy and so hectic that you guys just pass like ships in the night? You know, you may have one weekly meeting where you sit down and coordinate Google calendars and make sure everybody knows who's picking up who on what day and where and what appointments are where. Or are you actually making the time, husbands, which is on you, by the way, to make the time to continue to to date your wife, to know your wife? Now, look, I know some seasons are, are like that, but seasons have definite start dates and end dates. If it's just going on indefinitely, it's not a season, it's your life. So husbands, first you've got to love, live with your wives, right? Not only that, but you're called to live with your wives in an understanding way, or as some translation put it, according to knowledge. Now that knowledge could be kind of like the, the fear from what we saw with the ladies where it's talking about according to our knowledge of God and his commands and what he's called us to, to be and to do. But honestly, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think what Peter's calling us to do here is to know our wives. Don't buy in to the dumb stand-up comedy trope of men and women will never understand each other. Now, there are things that you won't fully understand why your wife does this, why your husband does this. There's going to be times that that stuff happens. But don't buy into the lie that you can't understand your husband or your wife. Don't buy into that. That's just stupid. Get to know her. Date her. Ask questions. You may not know why she does what she does, but you should be able to get to the point where you've got a pretty good idea what she's going to do, right? You know, from, from across the room, you see somebody coming and you immediately know what's going through her mind, right? You guys both give each other that look and you know exactly what she's thinking. If you don't have those kind of moments, husband, you need to develop that. You need to study your wife. Some of you guys will put in hours studying for a new certification to get a promotion, and you haven't thought about anything new about your wife since you were dating. One of the ways you honor your wife is by getting to understand her, getting to know what makes her tick, not just what makes her tick, right? You figure that out pretty quick. But what is she like? What makes her feel valued, treasured? 
Now, again, there's another controversial statement here where Peter says that you're to dwell with her in an understanding way because she's a weaker vessel. Now, there's a lot of things that that's been pointed to, but guys, let's be honest. In general, most women are not as physically capable as most men, okay? There are exceptions to that. The women deadlift world record, okay? If you're not familiar with the deadlift, that's where anytime you've ever seen anybody do something that looks ridiculous, it's probably a deadlift. Um, it's where you bend over and you grab the bar, you stand up with it, and then you drop it and scream really loud, right? That's, that's what you watch from the competitions. The women deadlift record is 623 pounds. That is an absurd amount of weight for the record. Um, most guys that I know, uh, in fact, actually, I said this a few months ago about there's probably only one or two people in the room who could deadlift 500 pounds, and the one or two people who I thought could deadlift to 500 said, uh, not a chance. But the women's deadlift record is 623 pounds. The men's deadlift record is 1,104, okay? By and large. Now, the girl that deadlifts 623 could beat me any day of the week doing anything. Like, that's just no question. But by and large, in general, men are stronger physically than women. What does that mean in the home? Guys, that means your wife's got different limitations than you do. She's got different priorities than you do. She's got different expectations. And part of your job as her husband, part of the calling and responsibility that God's given you is to learn those things, to know that, yeah, there are limits to that. And to to be, honestly, help her guard that. To be able to say, I know you're coming up against the limit and you need to take a step back because I love you. Not because I don't think you can handle it, but because I I want you not to burn yourself out, right? You honor your wife by living with her in an understanding way, recognizing she's a weaker vessel. Now, there's another aspect to this, by the way. In those days, as I said, women had absolutely no rights in the culture at large. We live in a little bit of a different scenario now where women do have many more rights than they did in those days. However, as a husband, part of your job is to use whatever power and authority God's given you to make sure you're looking out for the interests of your wife that you stand up for her, that you fight for her, that you do what you can to promote her flourishing. That's part of living with your wife in an understanding way, recognizing that she's physically and societally weaker than you are. Okay? Honor your wife. It says, as we go through this, uh, showing them honor as co-heirs of life. Showing them honor as co-heirs of life. See, instead of looking down on my wife, I need to honor her, respecting her limits and promoting her flourishing whenever I can. Why? Because in the sight of God, she is just as valuable as any man ever has been. Now, again, in our culture, that doesn't seem nearly as revolutionary as it did to Peter. In those days, this was unheard of. To say that you're co-heirs with Christ. That means when you stand before God, your wife is standing right there with you on her own. Because you're a co-heir with Christ and she's a co-heir with you. That means she has equal standing before God. So if you would think about it, if you wouldn't treat somebody that's a friend of yours at church in a particular way, then don't treat your wife that way. I mean, so often those closest to us in our home get the short end of the stick, don't they? I mean, my dad's saying was everybody needs a cat to kick. It's that whole thing where the, the guy gets chewed out by his boss, so he comes home and he chews out his wife, and she chews out her kid, and her kid kicks the dog, and the dog kicks the cat. Your wife can't be your cat to kick. Your wife deserves for you to honor her as a co-heir with you of the grace of God. 
Just in case you think that that's not going to be any problem if you don't, look at the last phrase. So that your prayers won't be hindered. Husbands, if you're not honoring your wife, if you're not living with her, if you're not studying her, if you're not trying to to promote her flourishing and protect her as best you can, if you're not doing that, then you're not going to be in right standing with God. Your prayers will be hindered. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't be, or that that you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what it's talking about. But you can't expect God to respond well to you as you pray when you're not responding to the call that he's placed on your life. Now, if I, as a husband, will love my wife in this way, and I'll lead our home out of this kind of respect, out of this kind of honoring her as a co-heir, recognizing her limits, promoting her flourishing, protecting her, if I will love her that way, it makes it much easier for her to submit. Now, I'm not saying, guys, don't hear me. Some of you have walked away from that marriage conference where they talked about if you will do the dishes, it might lead to things you want later on. That's not what I'm talking about here, right? This is not a guarantee. If I do A, B will happen. If I honor Christ in this way, I'll enjoy uninterrupted fellowship with him, and I'll be able to promote an environment where my wife can be all that God's called her to be without any hindrance. God's calling us to reflect Christ in our homes. Wives, by submitting to your husband's leadership and care, by developing a quiet and reverent spirit, not towards your husband, primarily towards God. Husbands, you're called to love your wives, to honor them, live with them in an understanding way. Why? Why all of this? Let me bring you back to where we started. All of this comes back to what Jesus has done for us. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he would submit to the Father's will and to unjust treatment by the governing authorities in that day so much to the point that he would take our sin and die on a cross for us. He submitted himself to the Father's will. At no point did he become less than fully God. He was never inferior to the Father, but he submitted himself to the Father's will. And as a result of that, if you remember when you read in Ephesians, you read it in Philippians, that, that after Christ died and was buried and was raised from the dead, it says that the Father exalted him. He honored him and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Father honored Jesus for his submission, and Jesus honored the Father by submitting. And that's the call that God's given us to reflect in the home. So that when the world out there see the ways that our home operates, they see that it's different, they see that it's better, and they see Jesus through the way that we live. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes this morning. Let me ask you, as, as Tim gets ready to come up here to play, we take just a moment. I think we're going to just continue with our head bowed and eyes closed for a little bit. I want to just give you a chance to then think about what you need to do differently today. Are you, as a husband, honoring your wife, living with her, learning about her, 
helping her see and understand her limits and protecting her? Are you honoring your wife as a co-heir? If not, you need to repent of that. And then wives, the question for you is, are you honoring your husband by submitting to him? As a co-heir in Christ, not out of weakness, but out of meekness. Out of strength under control, saying, I'm deferring to his leadership in the home. What do you need to do this week? What do you need to change this week about the way you've been relating? You may need to go to your spouse and say, I need you to forgive me because I've been disobeying Christ in this area. Again, if you're in an abusive situation, maybe you need out. And maybe today what you need is for God to give you the strength to take that step to contact somebody you trust to help make that happen. But maybe God's calling you to a new level of representing Christ in your home. Again, if you're a single and have hopes to be married, would you ask God to give you the strength to know how to lead a home if you're a husband, to honor a husband if you're a wife through submission? If you're here today, though, and you don't think you'll ever be married again, would you pray for the marriages around you? Would you model for folks however you can what a godly marriage looks like? Encourage them that. What do you need to do in response? You just continue there with your head bowed and your eyes closed for a minute. If you need to talk with me, I'll be down front. But if by chance... You you just want to do business with God. You stay there, and I'll, I'll close this in prayer in just a minute. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he submitted himself to your will, that he went to the cross and took our sin on our behalf. So, Father, we thank you for your word, how you've taught us all of these things, including truths that run so counter our to what our culture believes. Would you help our homes to reflect Christ? If there's anybody who's in here this morning or anybody who's watching online who, who's in the situation where their spouse isn't saved, I pray that their pure and reverent lives would draw them to Christ. Father, I, I pray that for those marriages where Both are following Christ. I pray you'd help husbands to be who we need to be and wives to be who they need to be so that together we can reflect Christ to a world who desperately needs him. God, I I thank you for all that you're doing. And I pray you'd give us the strength to walk in your truth this week. In Jesus' name, amen.